The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. No, so I just, I think you're just, you're just open yourself. And, you know, it might work fine for them or their dogs, but it only takes one dog eating every squirrel you shoot out to ruin your day. <laughs> if you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Don't just get a plastic, untrustworthy, and undependable box from the pet store. Sure, your wallet may thank you at the moment, but not after the trip to the vet, because you entrusted your best friend's safety to the cheapest and unproven option out there. You wouldn't travel in a death trap vehicle, so why have your dog do it? He's your child. He's your family. He's your hunting partner that's always there for you, and he deserves the best. What makes Gunner Kennels the best? It's the only kennel in the market that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. Each year, over 100,000 dogs are killed falling from pickup trucks, and even more are injured. The intermediate-sized kennel was tested up against 4,000 pounds of force, and they couldn't go any higher because it broke the vice machine. The double-wall roto-molded construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather. It has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last, and Gunner stands behind that. And most importantly, it's American-made. Because America. That's why. They have all the accessories that you can imagine, including fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around, so if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holiday and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out our podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Austin, how you feeling this week? Squirrely and feisty, man. Why is that? Oh, this is a uh, it's a squirrely and feisty podcast we got. 
We're uh, joined here this week with Marcus Gray of Gray's Mountain Feist. He's a uh, biologist out of Virginia, and he's been dealing with these dogs and uh, feists in particular for years. And uh, he's extremely dedicated and passionate about squirrel hunting, and he travels all across the U.S. and uh, travels state to state doing squirrel hunting, competitions, and all, all that fun stuff. He's even writing books. Yeah, he even he literally wrote the book on squirrel hunting, guys. The first, I think, didn't he say it was 20 years or so that there was like, it's been a long time. He kind of, yeah. he's he's writing the book for this stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think that's he's what the he He's the guy. Yeah, so uh, extremely knowledgeable guy, and he makes a lot of good points uh, about, I mean, heck, you should really consider getting involved in it because, it's it's not an argument squirrels are just readily available out in the back 40 anybody can go squirrel hunting and i I think it's kind of an undervalued uh type of hunting type of meat anything and uh especially people talk about getting youth involved and what's more fun than just going through the woods with the dog shooting some squirrels and you you don't have to worry about being quiet you have game everywhere plenty of activity and and everything from the description that he gives um, and, and really talking about some of the dog work, it seems like a good kind of gateway type of hunting. You know, it gets you your foot in the door and allows you to experience some small game hunting and really good dog work, yeah. you know, and, and that can transition into other things, just getting people exposed to the outdoors. Absolutely. So uh, before we jump into that, you want to give a quick update on cash and uh what kind of crazy problems you're having this week with him? Cash, Cash is doing better. He uh, he got all the fluid and everything. We finally got that off of his um, incision site where they pulled the porcupine quill and whatever the, I guess, infection was that was right there. They We got the fluid off of that, but he's got some, like, buildup scar tissue. We don't know what it is. We got another follow-up appointment at the end of this week. I'm just ready for this dude to get the green light for us to be able to do stuff again. It's uh, it's been a long few weeks. Yeah. Well, while he's been out, you got to go down to Arkansas with Scouty last weekend. Oh yeah, that was a blast. We yeah. we had the long holiday weekend. Got to head out as soon as we got done eating Thanksgiving dinner and spent uh, three days in Arkansas with one of our good buddies. And man, it was it was awesome. Scout did a heck of a job. Um, he got a little impatient at times you know in the blind but he picked up every bird we shot made some we never retrieved geese before you know and so when we shot four specks and uh i saw all of them go down and i saw one taken way off across the uh across the field the rice field i was like well we'll see what happens here and (laughs) he picked up the first few of them and then the one uh that was way far off i just send him in that direction and i mean i I, it was awesome man i wish i'd videoed the whole thing as i'm like as he's coming back he's like halfway back i'm like i gotta get my phone out because even still it was a long video of him running like 30 seconds with this thing you know in his mouth coming full speed to me but yeah i think it was probably like at at least 200 yards or so and uh it was cool man so we got three days in of hunting uh out there um there the birds i don't think were all there yet but it was enough you know birds for us right now that uh i had a heck of a time and we had plenty of shot opportunities and um just uh, it was a great experience 
I didn't have any shot opportunities myself. That's a Middle Tennessee duck hunt, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we went out as a loose. public land Middle Tennessee. <laughs> hey, you know, some, we like battling for it for the spots. Oh, I'm going to do it this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, the spot that I wanted to get, we we flew in dark to this one because I mean, me and me and Adam went, and neither one of us hunted out there before in the, in this location, and so. uh I just picked a spot on the map that looked good. I know I'd walked back there before just running the dogs, and I know I'd scared up some ducks. I'm like, yeah, I want to get over there by it. I think there's going to be some ducks back there. And, of course, we fly in, and somebody was already in that location. And uh, they had some shooting going on throughout the day. Not a whole lot, but they had some shooting. So we ended up in another spot, and it was Lucy's first duck hunt. So I was kind of ready for a battle. Just, you know, she's never been out before, knew – new exposure, new adventure, new, new everything. And so I was kind of thinking that it was going to be a pain in the ass a little bit, but, uh, she did great. I took the mat that I have in her gunner kennel and I took that out with her for her place. And she, you know, I tethered her off to the tree, but honestly she didn't need it. She just sat there like a champ and waited. And, you know, if we ever, the few flybys that we had, if we called or, or reach for the gun, she would perk up and she was, paying attention she she really did great uh wish we'd have gotten a shot opportunity to get her to retrieve but hey she sat there like a champ you had a good lesson in patience yeah absolutely and then yeah just typical nick luck on duck hunting just get back in the boat to head out <laughs> Yeah, this is the best part the uh somehow the gas line to the uh, gas tank on the boat snapped in half so uh fortunately I saw this old old boat ramp off to the side and uh we barely made it there. I mean we we made it like within 10 yards and had to pull the trolling motor and there there was no way we were getting back to our boat ramp with just a trolling motor. That water was pretty choppy. The wind and, was up probably. I mean yeah. it was yeah, I'm sure yeah. that oh, same yeah. sail came through that it came through Arkansas. Well, yeah, that, that's good. That boat ramp was, you know, it wasn't too far away, but, you know, we'll just call it a mile from where I parked the truck. And uh, But that boat ramp belongs to a campground that's only open during the summer, so they had it barred off. And fortunately, I found the groundskeeper, and they opened it up. And so I got to hike back to the truck with, with waders and everything and then come pick up the boat with Adam. So that always something fun with duck hunting and me. <sighs> yeah. At least I didn't hit a tree this time. <laughs> Dude. You got, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but you recover the boat, and yeah. at least at some point, maybe you'll just give up waterfowling and just I'd be in the misery. You know, I, I could give up duck hunting for just time in the woods or fields, whatever. I'm fine Dude, with my, it. My love for waterfowling is just growing. I, I can't, I, right now I can't get enough of and it. And what's funny is I had to kind of t- push you to get it, get into it. And really, last year was my first full year waterfowling, yep. and I'm I'm hooked. You know, the whole ride back, Matt. You know, the guy I'm riding back with, and I'm I'm blowing the duck call. I'm like, is that good? You know, <laughs> he's like, damn it, Austin. Every day, it's Shut good. Up. It's good, dude. Yeah. Everything. And I'm like, I'm just I got I'm gonna call these things in myself <laughs> here next time. Yeah. You know, I want to make sure that I want to be able to do this all. You know. Yep. So. Well, uh, I guess we can get to Marcus here in a second, but real quick, wanted to thank everybody one last time who participated in the uh, Instagram giveaway. Uh, that was successful. The guy that won it was real appreciative and excited, and so uh, he'll be having a gunner arriving on his doorstep you know, here in a few days, hopefully. And uh, we'll be having another one 
soon. Uh, hopefully, we're, we're going to be doing a lot more giveaways, especially more partners that we bring in over time. And, yeah, just wanted to say thanks to everybody that did that and then also signed up for Patreon. That's going good. So, uh, yeah, just uh, if you're interested in that, go check it out. And I guess if we don't have anything else, we can get to Marcus. Yeah, let's do it. All right, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll we'll see you guys next week. All right, see y'all. Hey, hey you, yeah, all you bird doggers out there, listen up. What every one of y'all needs besides a dog is reliable gear. The folks down at Duck Camp, they specialize in making apparel gear for all types of outdoorsmen. This company isn't just for duck hunters and waterfowlers. They're a company for wing shooters and all outdoorsmen. When the hunting season's over, I tell you what they do. They put their shotgun boots up, they hit the water. They get them fly rods out. Duck Camp clothing, it flat out fits better. They're made with better fabrics, and all around, they're just better hunting shirts. And Duck Camp, they specialize in upland hunters and provide specific products designed for those who hunt behind dogs. They have everything from solid color shirts to blaze orange accent shirts, quail straps, and breathable lightweight rain jackets. Their shirts are designed with a more athletic cut that allow enough room to move through the shoulders and upper body so you can move and shoot comfortably in the field. They also just launched a brand new line of brush pants that are can't miss, unlike your shooting. <laughs> yeah, we at GDIY can speak firsthand to the level of quality of this stuff. We've been using their Upland shirts for a few months now, and I can't even imagine wearing anything else. The lightweight shirt, I tell you, it keeps you cool but protected from the cover, while the heavyweight shirt, well, it keeps you warm. I'd say warmer than a hound in heat. And it's comfortable, comfortable in them cold, cold days. Duck Camp brand, it's rooted in camaraderie that you find at the hunting camp. It's as much about the feeling as it is about the place. They're a direct-to-consumer company with no middleman, whatever the hell that means. But stop in and purchase some amazing hunting gear and tell them GDIY sent you. Thank you. All right, everybody, we're back here. We have uh, Marcus Gray on the line with us. Marcus, how you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, is uh, he specializes in feist. So he he does a lot of squirrel hunting with feist, and uh, he's with uh, I think he has his own kennel called Gray's Mountain Feist. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. All right. Uh, well, you want to tell everybody where you're coming at? Sure. So I I grew up in in Virginia, but live in the Northeast now, and we travel all over the country. We hunt in three to five states every season. You know, buy licenses and travel around with hunt hunt with other people and and see dogs go. Um, just travel around and, and introduce other other people to small game hunting. Now, whereabouts do you live now, Marcus? Yes, sir. So we're 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 basically the main, uh, you know, squirrel hunting program or, or feist breeder in the area, pretty much from Virginia to Maine. But we're we're right on the border of um, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York, where they all come together. Wow, awesome! So it's easy for us to run into mountains of Pennsylvania or down to Virginia to hunt or, you know, up into New England, even, um, if, if someone want to see how these dogs act and, and everything. So do you do a lot of traveling for, uh, squirrel hunting with these dogs? No, we, we do quite a bit of traveling for them. And we, you know, if we have a, a litter, we average a litter a year, but if, if people, um, are getting pups from us, you know, they, they are welcome to come here or we will try to meet them somewhere if, if possible. But, um, most of the time it's, it's, they end up coming here because, you know, with the rules and everything about dog transport, you know, USDA wants you to be licensed to do that. So people generally come here uh, to pick them up um, at weaning. But um, now we go out to Missouri twice a year. We've got family out there and some family farms, and we hunt out there because, um, you know, I know the land and, and have access and things like that. But 
here east of the Mississippi, I, I hunt almost exclusively public land. So I know what that can be like as well. <laughs> awesome. So real quick, before we really dive into the squirrel dogs, do you do any other type of hunting as well? I do. I mean, I've, I've dabbled in basically everything over the years. I started hunting when I was eight years old, uh, you know, shot my first squirrel with my dad and my uncle doing that. Both my grandpas were in real into hunting. Um, and so you know, they, they talked about squirrel dogs that they had when they were kids. And so I got us back into them pretty much. Um, you know, I, I had Jack Russell's in, in high school and, and I like them. I like little terrier type dogs, but I really like squirrel hunting too. And so when I found out that these dogs that my, you know, the older generations of my family were talking about actually still exist, um, then I, I went out and, and got some dogs and, and started this line about 15 years ago. Um, and so we're, we're, we're about eight generations in now um, with some of the young dogs we've got here. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've hunted deer. Yeah, I went to, I went to college in Maine. So a lot of grouse and woodcock hunting up there. And then I went to grad school in South Dakota. So I basically chased everything with fur feathers oh, out wow. there. That's awesome. Um, you know, and, and that's about the, about the time I got the dogs. <laughs> that's about the time I got the dogs. So I was the only, not only squirrel dogger, but the only squirrel hunter in South Dakota. So I had pretty much <laughs> free reign to go anywhere. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's a lot of the benefit of these dogs is, you know, squirrels are fun of access is a lot easier than big game hunting, especially after deer season. And people are like, oh yeah, sure. Come hunt squirrels. They just bother me in my tree stand. Um, but you can also get in with some of these clubs, you know, and, and say, all right, well, let's, you know, let's take your club members out for a hunt. So I, I get to work dogs on land that I wouldn't otherwise have access to. Um, but then introduce people to, to squirrel dogs or reintroduce them to squirrel dogs and, um, and just have a good time and, and, just get to places where you would normally get to go, um, especially during during the rut. Absolutely. So it sounds like you've hunted in a lot of different areas of the U.S. Is that right for for squirrels? That's right. Yeah, for squirrels, like I said, we we hunt three to five states a year. But you know, I've, everywhere from Tennessee, North Carolina, up through Pennsylvania, New York, um, Maine, and then out all the way out to South Dakota. We we used to do some competition hunting too, you know, events, you know, for the bird bird dog world, y'all call field trials. Yep. Um, like you touched on in your coon hound episode, it's very similar to the fight to that. And we've we've probably competition hunted in oh probably not quite ten states, um, and hunted in, in about that many as well wow. over the years too. Um, just traveling around, yeah. So, you know, when I was in South Dakota, I'd go I'd go to competition events in Minnesota, all the way over to Ohio, and then I've been down to Georgia. Um, Virginia, we used to have uh, quite a few hunts. I, I did most of that probably oh between 2007 and 2012 when we when we had kids. And now my my kids are getting just about old enough where we could probably start picking that up again. But it's tough living in the Northeast just because there's not a lot of events. Um, but we can get down to Kentucky in about eight hours, and that's that's where a, a big hub of this is, you know, around Grayson and and that area. Is there a specific region that you? Uh favor for squirrel hunting more so than the others oh i mean i it's, it's interesting it's an interesting question because like i said in missouri we've got so much access that it's sort of like a, a hunter's paradise i mean my family owns you know, several thousand acres all together extended family out it's it's kind of like a field day but you know in the east it's interesting because you know you think someplace like in the south would be better which you know there's more squirrels um but there's also more hunters in general so you end up trying to dodge other people more, whatever they're hunting, you know, whether they're hunting deer or bear or anything else. I mean, like my dogs have gotten caught up in like a, a pack of plot running bear, bear, you know, I'm like, no, no, come yeah. back, no, no. But, um, you know, it's just something exciting. But no, actually, the interesting thing is in the Northeast, there's a lot of places to go, but not a lot of hunters. 
Um, so like the few dogs that we've placed up here, if, if you run into somebody with a squirrel dog, more than likely they came, it came from us or that of dogs that came from us. And, and, um, there'll be like the one person for a hundred miles around that, that not, not only hunts squirrel dogs, but hunts squirrels, period. What about the it's habitat? Kind of is is there any specific habitat, you know, in the in the south or any region that is more beneficial for I'm sure the answer is yes, but what is that habitat that's more beneficial for squirrels? In general, well, is it mean, the larger, older squirrels, timber? Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say. Beneficial for squirrels or beneficial for us trying to hunt them. I mean, so bigger, older timber with um with dens obviously be better for the squirrels, but you know, in terms of of hunting them and actually harvesting them actually it's smaller timber um in areas between those dens so it's almost like um you know, think about if you, if you have an oak hickory stand that's got pretty good sized trees in it and then you've got a little creek and then maybe a pine stand or something you know stand out well you'll have gum and other you know maples and stuff in that along that ditch and the, the trees aren't really big enough yet for the squirrels to have a den a den hole um and you catch them sort of like between uh, going to going into the pines and, and to the oaks, you catch them there by the water. Oftentimes, like in Virginia, in Central Virginia, where we hunt um, quite often. But then you go down to the Sand Hills of North Carolina, and you've got spaced out trees. You know where they do a lot of prescribed fire, and it's easier walking. The dogs can cover you know, that flat ground pretty easy, especially those old sand roads and stuff. But then you're trying to find them in top of a 150 foot tall pine. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's 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 all different places or different different things, but you know, really, if you've got that area that's got good mast production, I mean, that's that's where you're going to ha- have the highest numbers. Um, but at times of the year, like if you know, um, like right before they start cutting hickories in the fall, you know, late summer, um, they're cutting pine cones. So if you can find an area that's got hickories and pines, or right in fall starts, tulip poplars lose their leaves first. So if you hunt a poplar stand, you know, you, you just up your odds of, of uh, coming home with some squirrels. Yeah. Well, I know you touched briefly just a minute ago on a lot of the ease of uh, hunting options for squirrel dogs and everything, but I got to ask, after living up in Maine with the grouse and woodcock and then South Dakota and bird bird (laughs) heaven, of all the hunting styles and dogs, what made you decide squirrel dogs was where you wanted to be? Well, I think it was, like like I mentioned a little earlier, like I sort of like a you know small to medium sized dog um and i like to squirrel hunt so those things were came together pretty easily like i enjoy watching a dog work but really in the last you know 80 years 60 80 years when you look at what's happened on the landscape the the timber has grown back up you know that which isn't a subdivision you know we've got these closed canopy forests now where there were open fields and you know abandoned farms um and now you know squirrels have done the opposite of what quail have done you know quail have declined 80 percent in our lifetime um, but squirrels are everywhere. Um, so it's, it's really like, if you look at the decline in hunters and some of the state game agencies and other organizations that are, are pushing, um, you know, hunter recruitment and retention, they're trying to hold on to game that's no longer available. Um, as painful as it is, I mean, like my, my grandpa's used to hunt birds like crazy, you know? Um, and, and that was a major part of what they did. They had pointers and, and one of my great uncles had Brittany's that they'd actually go up into Nebraska and pheasant hunt with, um, like in the sixties. So it's, um, it's hard to say that, but really it's squirrels are just available. And like I said earlier, you're going to get access, um, to hunt them more often than you would think. And, and these dogs with, with changing property sizes, these dogs hunt a lot closer than say a hound would. Yeah. Um, 
And so you can be more surgical, right? When you're, you're you want to drop the dogs and, and, you know, cast them out into a patch of timber, you can hunt lots of smaller places, uh, make multiple drops a lot easier. And, and you can call them off a tree. You know, if they cross a property line or they cross a creek, you don't want to try to wade through, uh, you know, you, you can call them back. And, and so the handle is a lot better um, on, on some of these current feist dogs than, than um, traditionally we, we had with hounds. So it's, it's, it's interesting because we've got a lot of people that are converting from hounds, coon hounds, you know, even fox dogs, you know, as the, as the pens are getting less popular um, because they can't let them out of the pen because they're going to go two miles away. You know? yeah. you, with these dogs, you don't have to drive around the section and catch your dogs when they're crossing the road, you know. Um, it's just a different It's just a different reality these days. You know, you've got people building their house right on the National Forest. And, you know, in Virginia, we had big debates about hunting with dogs, you know, and it's like the dog can't read, but if you can keep your dog off of posted property, all the better. Absolutely. Well, walk everybody through, you know, with, even me and Austin, I mean, I've squirrel hunted a couple of times, but I haven't squir- squirrel hunted with a tried and true finished squirrel dog. So let, let's start at the end result and the end goals of each squirrel dog okay. and describe the char- characteristics and expectations and, and what it's like hunting behind one. Sure. Well, it's, it's, um, you know, really, really fun and, and fast paced, especially if the squirrels are moving pretty well. I mean, so these, a, a finished feist dog is one that uses all of its senses to locate game. So it's a little different than hounds where, you know, you might have, or, or you know, a beagle or a coon hound where they might open on track. These dogs are, are, primarily silent on track unless it's really hot um but even even that's rare i mean the vast majority of the time these dogs are silent on track so you, you cast the dog out um and they'll run out you know depending on whether squirrels are moving well or if there's low population about 150 200 yards um and if they don't tree they'll run they'll run a little circle sort of like quartering like a bird dog they'll, they'll run a little circle if they don't run into anything they'll they'll come back um, they sort of, you set the direction walking and they'll just keep doing that. They'll go out to the right and then they'll come back and go out to the left, um, after checking in. Um, but they use their eyes, their ears and their nose. So if they hear a squirrel barking or one cutting on a nut, they'll actually run in and, and tree. Um, if they, if they, they'll ground track, they'll wind, um, you know, just like a, a bird dog would or, or a coon hound train a layup. Um, they'll go in with their head up and, and tree, uh, a squirrel that hasn't even been to the ground. Um, so you get that a lot, especially early morning. You the squirrel will just come out of the den or the nest and just lay out on a branch in the sun. Um, and you need, you need a dog to be able to follow that that air current scent to be able to to lock in and, and tree them. Um, and then you know using their eyes. And you know basically any any dog that you get from the pound will chase a squirrel by sight. But these are dogs that um, you know are specifically bred and and are being improved for this job um, for for a long time. And and you know a in a given litter, you'll have above average dogs are doing this task. You know, it's just like you can pheasant hunt with a Jack Russell, you know, but most people don't, you know what I mean? So like you can <laughs> squirrel hunt with about any, with about any dog, you know, about uh, any dog or a mix of dogs. But, you know, these dogs are being bred specifically now for um, their squirrel hunting ability. So it's, it's, it's tricky to work out a track. I mean, the squirrels are up on the side of it, down on the ground. They never come down. They, you know, hop all over the place or up on a stump. They climb over rocks, whatever. And that's pretty complicated track for a dog to follow. Um, so you want a dog that isn't too cold nosed because they'll be trained where the squirrel was at before, not where he is now. Um, but at the same time, it's in these feist dogs, they tend to be a little hotter nose and say like a mountain cur 
would be, um, you know, curves do a little better if it's if it's a little windier, or um, you know, if the, if the conditions are or there's fewer squirrels around, you know, they'll hunt a little deeper and and find you one. So it's really all just personal preference. But I like I like the feist dog just because I like that you know 25 pound dog or so, um, and they hunt for you, not you know, and with you. You don't you don't have to be hunting for your dog all the time. So Marcus, can we, you hit on this for a second, um, a little bit ago, but can you describe the different breeds of squirrel dogs for us? Um, I, I honestly don't know of very many and I want to make sure all the listeners know what variety is out there. Oh, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of, I mean, like you can have a first generation other recognized breeds if you want to, you know, you could have a, a bird dog coonhound cross, or you could have a Jack Russell beagle cross or whatever. You see all sorts of things. Actually, some of these dogs will have like you know, finished spits or elk hound, or um, you know, just just pick a dog, you know. And and as long as it's you know doing the job that they want it to do, then then people will hunt it. But in terms of dogs that are being specifically bred and improved for squirrel hunting, the mountain cur and the mountain feist are, are two of the major ones. Um, if you go to the deep south in the Gulf Gulf states. You know, they have um, a treeing feist, and that, those terms are interchangeable in a lot of the country. But there seems to be we're at this fork in the road where they're where they're diverging, and and the treeing feist tend to be tend to be a little bigger, longer in the leg. You know, their ears may not stand up so much, but they they're more more barks per minute sort of a thing. Like if you're in a treeing contest and event, you know they they're a little tighter to the tree. You know, feet on the wood type dogs, whereas our our mountain feist will will bark enough for you to find them, but when you get there, they'll sort of back off and watch because we want the dog to stay with the squirrel if it leaves. Um, so it's hard to do if you're just barking your head off. Um, you're not watching all that well. So they'll actually they'll quiet down a little bit when you get there, get back off the tree, and just and just wait for the squirrel to move or for you to shoot it out. Um, so anyway, you know, in terms of breeds, you could have any little dog that'll do this, but, um, you know, like I said, the feist and, and cur dogs tend to be the primary ones. And then, um, like I said, you have these these crosses that, that people use also. You know, just people are, people are always looking to, um, you know, maybe reinvent the wheel, but they, they, there's an interest in having the hybrid vigor, um, in a dog that you plan to hunt, not necessarily if you're trying to establish a line or, or, you know, breed those traits into the future. So it's in, in some ways it's backward that people are doing that. It's sort of unnecessary. We've got these dogs that are selectively bred and even line bred, um, for the job. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to try to throw a wrench in that or, or start over. Yeah, absolutely. Well, currently how many dogs do you own right now um not not that many we just have four um i've got a, a male and, and three females and and the females are various stages of development um my my main female now is a, a little red dog that we call rose and she's she's seven years old and then i've got a a little a year old that we call chloe a little over a year um and then i've got a pup that's just seven months and, and we call her miss kitty um so it's uh you know, she you really, identifies, self-identifies as a cat. <laughs> That's right. No, no, no. It's more of a uh, gun smoke, the, the Western. We, oh, a lot of our dogs <laughs> tend to have Western or mountain Appalachia type names. But, um, but uh, you know, the, we hunt, when we catch the dogs out, we hunt, you know, between one and three dogs most of the time. We tend to rotate in pairs, um, that, sort of, is that, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, how... What about living arrangements? How are they inside the house, or do you just keep them in the kennels, or, or how does that work out for you? Well, our personally, our dogs are indoor-outdoor. We, we've got a kennel, you know, they come in um, also, and, you know, if, if needed, you know, we, we crate train just because it's just a good idea. But um, 
keep them, keep them out of trouble, just like any dog. I mean, they're not as neurotic as say some of the some of the true terriers. Um, you know, they're not going to eat your couch. Um, you know, <laughs> past the puppy stage, but they're they're sort of laid back. I mean, they'll they're happy to lay around at your feet, but then they'll hunt all day. So it's, they sort of have like a dual personality. But um, you know, they'll they'll come in and, and if it's you know bitter. Our dogs get a decent coat. Um, it's one of the things I'm breeding for, just being in the Northeast. Um, you know, a little longer leg and, and a little heavier coat, but they don't all come out that way. Some of them are almost bare skin, you know, on their chest and, and underside. So, you know, if it gets too cold, we'll bring them in or conversely, if it's too hot, but they, they tend to like the heat and they'll adapt to the cold. They'll grow a coat. Um, but a lot of people, um, that's one of the risks with these dogs is they're relatively small and they do make good house dogs. Um, you know, risk in terms of, uh, them being bred away from, uh, the job and being working dogs. And we, we try hard to keep them in the timber and, and use for hunting. And, and it's, it's difficult. Just, just like you saw with, you know, say Jack Russell Terriers in the nineties, they just got wildly popular um, and just became pets. Um, and, and that's what we're, we're at the point now. It's, they're getting common enough that that's a, that's a real problem that, um, that is coming down the pike. And we're trying not to repeat the mistakes that other breeds have, have under undergone. Yeah. I know a lot of but, breeds. Um, are... I mean, you got, you run all kinds. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I know um, a lot of but, breeds that are having that issue right now. Uh, I mean, like you oh, just yeah. said, the Jack Russell golden retriever, pretty much any time a movie comes out, it seems like they blow up and, yeah. uh, you lose a lot of what made that breed special to begin with. Airbud, man. Right. Right. Well, I mean, historically they ran loose on, on small farms in Appalachia. You know, they, they were killing vermin and keeping stuff out of the garden and protecting the hen house. And then, you know, you would, pick up a gun and say, let's go. And they just run to the timber and, and tree squirrels. You know, they, they sort of have these multi job, this is a general purpose farm dog. And then it's probably since the 1980s, they've been really specifically bred um, for squirrels. And, you know, that's when the competitions really took off and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, you see all kinds of things. If you go in, in the mountains, you might see them um, out on chains. Uh, you might see them, uh, you know, in, in barns and things like that. But, but um, historically they ran around loose. But then when we really started controlling breeding, you know, that's when you had to confine them. And, and you know, the world's dangerous. You know, cars are fast and there's coyotes and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, big dogs. You know, you know, it's not so much a problem now, interestingly, though, that, um, you know, bigger dogs are running around loose. But when, you know, when I was a kid in Virginia, there were big dogs running around loose all the time. And they, most of the time they wouldn't do anything to you, but it only takes one time. You know, the part of Virginia I grew up in, um, you know, people still have deer dogs. So there's always, you know, some hound running around, Yeah, <laughs> but it's not, it's not nearly, not nearly as common as it used to be. So talk to us a little bit about what you're looking for when you're planning a uh, pairing or breeding, you know, you mentioned the confirmation aspect of this a little bit, but, um, can you, can yeah. you expound on that a little more and also talk about what you're looking for in regards to like a working style yeah. as well? Sure. Sure. I mean, so going one of the things that I look at and I've tried to balance over time is, you know, this hunting drive and temperament, you know, like I said, I've, I've had these dogs, you know, 10, 12 years ago that were good squirrels, but they were a pain in the butt to handle. I mean, you just, they were just a pain in the ass. Um, you know, you had to go catch them. If you weren't ready to go, they didn't want to go. They were gone. Um, and then conversely, like some lines and thankfully we had too much problem with this, but some lines, um, were aggressive, you know, you, you, especially like a vehicles or their people, you know, you, you, get too close to somebody else's truck and you pull back a nub if you weren't careful. So you just want to, you're trying to breed for easygoing, you know, more even keel, uh, temperament than they were in previous decades. But, um, you know, in terms of 
you know, what I look for. So I'm, like I said, I'm several generations in now. Um, and so I'm always trying to balance that drive with temperament and then the confirmation. Um, so if I'm, if I'm making a cross and with considerations for hunting, um, you know, usually I'm looking for an outcross and that's ideally to a related dog with some outside blood, but I don't want to have an open pedigree necessarily. Um, you know, because I, I don't, I'm trying to stack my deck with aces and I don't want to, uh, throw them all out and start over. So, um, I'll, I'll look for a dog that's got similar ancestry. Um, but then also, um, if I'm missing a trait, like I said, if I need more drive, I need more mouth, say, you know, barking more, um, I need a louder bark because these dogs, um, depending on the strain can be fairly soft, you know, they're not very loud. Um, and so you got to keep an eye on that. And then, uh, you know, nose. I mean, that, I've, I've been fortunate with the dogs that I have that for a feist dog, they've got pretty good winding ability, you know, without having a lot of cur- uh, mount cur or hound up close in their pedigree. Um, and I also have size. So I'm, I'm keep, trying to keep my size up and I'm trying to keep the winding ability up and the drive. And th- those are things that I, I really look for because, like I said, there's a lot of dogs out there that will chase a squirrel by sight. Um, and, you know, if the squirrels are moving, you'll, you'll do well. But I just, I really want be able to hunt in a variety of conditions and to do that i need a dog that has the winning ability um and the brains to be able to figure that stuff out exactly well uh say somebody comes to you and they get in uh into one of your litters or you're even picking out a pup Mm -hmm. uh are you one of the guys that just say pick the line and hand me a pup you know the, the the decision was really made by the breeder on the pairing and everything that goes into it like you just touched on or is there any specific thing that you believe to look for in a pup when you're when they're picking them out? Well, I mean, there's there's the ideal situation. And the, the demand is such for these dogs that, like, oftentimes I'll have people like say if, out of my litters, I'll have people tell me what they're looking for, what sort of temperament that you know they, they'll tell me. Oh, I want the I want the dominant one. Or I want a less dominant one, or you know, and and so I'll try to fit that as best I can. But when I, you know when I'm looking for a pup. Um, I'm more concerned about the ability of the parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, you know, the family of dogs, you know, what, what are they doing? Um, has the cross been made before? Um, how did those individuals turn out? How old are the parents? I mean, you know, there's something to be said with, you know, when you breed four or five year old dogs and you breed 12, 13 year old dogs, you know, um, it's sort of like a copying machine, right? You, you, you take a copy of a copy of a copy and it starts to fade. Yeah. So I have concerns about, you know, passing on the traits, even though the dog might be out of a good dog. It's, if it's getting up there in years, you got to watch that. But, um, no, I, I, I'm more interested in what the group of dogs surrounding that pup, uh, doing. And, and then, you know, really, if I can figure out, I'm looking for, a, when I'm looking for an outcross, I'm looking for a line of dogs that has multiple generations of dogs really doing the job well. So I might outcross to one that's got multiple titled dogs in it, um, something like that, just because um, they've been somewhat tested. Uh, so it's it's, the, but the big key is to hunt with those dogs, you know, because all sorts of shenanigans can happen in a competition hunt. Um, you know, they say they they only have events in their backyard, you know, and they don't have any competition, really. Um, you, you know, so it's you want to make sure that uh, you get as much information as, as you can, possibly. Uh, get your hands on about about a pup. Um, yeah, but in terms of an individual pup, you know, you, you, I want one that is going to come to me. You know, when when I walk up, you know, I don't want one that's too shy. Um, I, and I and I don't, you know, stubbornness I can deal with better than shyness, I guess. Um, 
you know, a, a scared dog is one that could become fearful and bite somebody, you know? So I just, I don't, I, I don't mess with one that's too timid most of the time. Um, like here, when we raise our pups, we've got three kids, seven and under, they're, they're pretty well bomb proof <laughs> by the time they leave here. Uh, yeah, they're pretty well socialized. So that's, that's what I look at too. And you don't always get that because some of these breeders might be up in years or, uh, you know, on, on their way out with, with their programs. Um, maybe there aren't a lot of kids around, but you know, we try to make sure their eyes are clear. They've got a good mouth, you know, good bite on them. Uh, see how they stand, that sort of thing. Because yeah, they don't, they don't all make it, but you try to try to stack your deck as as best you can and, and, um, get a well-bred pup that, um, is healthy. Right. I mean, that's what it comes down to is you really want to help your pup. Right. So let's, let's kind of transition then into when you get the dog home, you've picked that pup, you get it home. What is kind of the first training that you do with these squirrel dogs and just lead us from there? Uh, do you do much obedience training with them too? Sure. I mean, they're, they're intelligent enough that you can do lots of obedience with them. I mean, I, I've had a an old male that, you know, he would sit, stay, roll over, play dead, you know, he'd fetch stuff. Um, you know, you'd lay his toys out on the ground, you know, if he had them and, and say, you know, he obviously knew what a squirrel was. You know, get the, the stuffed squirrel or a ball. And if and if he and if he didn't have a name for it, you'd say, get that toy. You say, trigger, get that toy, bring it here. And he'd go get it and bring it to you. So they they learn a lot of things on their own too. Like, you know, I've had uh, a guy that got a dog for me that um, his his he trained the dog that when he shot one out, the dog would pick it up and instead of retrieving it to him, would run back to the truck, jump up on the box, and leave the squirrel up there, and then go back and hunt. <laughs> so I mean, you can teach them to ride on a four wheeler. You know, that's no no rig hunt in front of a truck. Um, you know, run down the road where you're driving slow and it, all sorts of things. But really, just like any puppy, you want to you want to prepare for the dog beforehand. You know, puppy proof your house and get your your kennel or your crate. You know, um, ready to go. And but yeah, people. The big thing is you've got to you've got to bond with the pup. One, you know, um, be the dominant figure in the pup's life. Um, and make sure it's socialized well. Like I said, you've got some that are like one-person dogs out of a litter, um, others that will jump in the truck with anybody. So it just depends on the personality of the individual dog, but the way you uh, prevent any issues is just take them to ball games, take them to the feed store, um, just have them around people uh, more. And, and yeah, basically, you know, come, sit, stay uh, are all useful. You know, load up is one that I work on pretty early. Um, but, you know, you can start taking them to the timber just for short walks, even, you know, right at weaning, you know, as long as they can keep up with you in a slow walk, it doesn't hurt a pup to walk around and chase leaves. Um, but you know, when they, they get used to riding in the truck and being around noise and things and new situations, they just adapt a lot better. Um, they, they like their people. Um, so having a strong bond with them, you know, that's why a lot of people do keep them in the house. It's, it's a little different than maybe old school hunting dog people, but, um, if they, if they're, part of the pack, you know, more or less, and they'll hunt better for you, uh, be more willing to please attitude, um, right. than, than people might expect a hunting dog to be. Yeah. Um, well, so you talked about, you know, the obedience and everything and, and getting them out in the woods. What kind of age or mm-hmm. mind frame are you waiting on the dog to mature to, to start transitioning into training to hunt? And what, what are the first few steps that you follow? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people do just like you know in your your coonhound episode talk about the coontail on the on the fishing pole. I mean, it's similar with squirrels. You put a tail on a on a pole and tease the pup with it. Uh, it's probably probably more for the handler's benefit than anything, but you know it's fun. Um, but we try to get the pup really. You start taking these walks when they're about three or four months old. 
they start to get out from under your feet a little bit. Um, listening, they'll, they'll chase noises that they hear. Um, and that's, that's really when it starts to get fun is because you know, they, a lot of these dogs will tree around six months, eight months, um, some even before, but you know, on average, you know, six or seven months. And, um, those easy ones, like I said, they chase them by, by sight up a tree. Um, and you just want to praise them a lot, but, um, yeah, that's, that's really when it's fun. So like you have a first, the dog's first kill season, you know, if you get them treeing by the end of that easy ones, you're doing pretty well. Um, and then that second squirrel season, um, you know, they, they're getting more consistent, uh, using their nose more. And then by that third squirrel season, they, they really start to figure their nose out and then you're eating a lot of squirrel. So you better like squirrel or know somebody that does because, <laughs> um, they'll really come into their own. Yeah. They'll come into their own and you'll start filling the game bag, uh, like crazy. But, um, you know, it's, it's, they're sort of aloof dogs. I mean, they're, a, a lot of them aren't the ones that if they meet a stranger, they're not going to jump up in their laps. I mean, some do in a litter, but on average, you know, they're sort of like, hi, I'll tolerate you. Um, I guess you're going to hunt with us today. Okay. Um, and that's about it. You know, they might sniff you a little and that's it. You know, it's not, there's not a lot of run over wagging the tail and lick your face. They're not that kind of dog. They're just, they're just a little different. So can you talk to us about a specific, if you have one, a specific type of gun intro that you do um, or what method that you use for that? Yeah, well, like, um, like I mentioned, to make a lot of noise helps. But, you know, I I, um, I try to make a point to make a little bit of noise with food dishes or, you know, if they're in the house, say, when they're still little, like, you know, drop something in the sink every once in a while. Um, it'll make sort of a metallic noise. And you don't want to you don't want to literally scare them. You know, um, you know, you know, you don't want them squealing and run away with their ears back away from you um, to a corner. But you know, just make a little bit of noise as you're just doing stuff, clank food dishes together, something like that. And they they pretty well between that and the kids wrestling with them all the time, they um, they get pretty pretty well socialized to noises like that. And then I um, in the timber, you know, we try to start with a, a 22. You know, we don't go shoot a 12 gauge over a four or five month old puppy. You know. Yeah. Um, we just start with a 22. Um, and if they do show any shyness, you know, you, it's a fine line between, uh, reinforcing that shyness and, and, you know, feeding their insecurity. So you, you don't, you don't, and, 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 uh, so you just have to be careful about that. You know, if you shoot and the dog comes over and sits on your feet, I just ignore them, you know, uh, I just sort of walk away and yeah, then you don't encourage it. Then, okay. Then we need to go back to the house and start with like a cap gun, you know, starter pistol and, and shoot from across the yard and, work closer over time like as they're eating or something like that but most of the time we don't have any any problem with it um they actually love the gun like if, if you pick up a, a broom they don't pay any attention they're just laying around asleep quote unquote asleep but you pick up a gun they, they're like okay <laughs> we're ready you know they so they could tell the difference between you know a shovel or a gun um right. but it's kind of interesting it's fun to mess with them <laughs> <laughs> so so you you have the dog gun intro and everything and and you kind of gave uh gave a timeline on on the dog's overall seasons and everything but walk us through that first season of of hunting that dog you know in the bird dog world there's a, there's a lot of let the birds teach the dog are you doing that with the squirrels sure. too do you just kind of lay back and let them figure well, out the game well some people and and again this is becoming illegal in more and more places you know in terms of training with live game or, or cage game you catch a squirrel um the real benefit to doing anything like that or using what they call a hang up, you know, say you have a roadkill squirrel or, or one that you um, shot and you, you put on a string and haul up into the tree for the, for the dog. You know, that's, that's really just to show them like, this is what you want them to hunt. You know, this is, this is what we're after. 
then after that, there's not really a lot of benefit, and you can do more harm than good. And like, uh, you know, say you have a cage squirrel that bites a pup, you know, um, that can cause psychological damage. Um, but you're really even even some will get sort of cage happy, you know, like they'll just bark at a cage. You can't get a cage out, they start barking, you know, and that's that, that's annoying, you know. Um, so it's it's really yeah, just taking to the timber. Um, is really the best thing. And, you know, if you can hunt them like three days a week for an hour, you know, they'll make great progress. And and that's, that's no matter how well-bred the pup is, like you could, you know, if you get the best pup you can get, if you could put the amount of time into them, they'll, they'll turn out to be a pretty good, pretty good dog for you. You know, you'll at least, you'll at least go out and treat some squirrels. Um, you know, when it gets hot and heavy, you know, the, the squirrels are moving real well, those, that dog will do just fine. Um, you know, so like on a typical hunt, like if the squirrels are moving fairly well or at least out, you know, and you've got a, a good finished dog, you might be treating a squirrel every 10 minutes. You know, if you treat 12 squirrels an hour, then that's, that's a pretty good clip. Um, and you know that it's, they're moving really well and it's hot and heavy. Like we say, if you shoot one and then right about the time you pick it up and go, Oh, that was cool. Did you see where it, arr, 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 you know, the dog's tree again. So you got, you got to go, you, you just have time to put it in your vest and then you got to go uh, shoot the next one. So, yeah. and that's, that's part of the benefit of hunting a couple dogs together. You know, you get, you get them to split tree and it's fun to watch or, you know, they'll sort of um, piggyback off each other. So like going into tree one about 50 yards and then the next one might tree at 100. So it's, it, you, you just a uh, lot faster pace of, of hunting in, in that way when you can jump from one dog's tree to the next. And that's where it's important is they have their own staying power. You know, you've got a dog that's the importance of split treeing like that. If you've got a dog that is treeing well, and the other dog trees, well, you don't want that dog, the second dog treeing to pull the first one off of the tree and leave that squirrel that they, that they had, you know, you want to stick with their own, um, squirrel. And, and, you know, we have them, they'll, they'll timber, you know, go treetop to treetop, uh, you know, in your coon hunt episode, you're talking about riding from one tree to another and squirrels do that, but hundred yards, <laughs> 300 yeah. yards, they'll do that. Um, especially an older squirrel that knows what's up and, um, you know, you want the dog to stick with it and try to get it to stop. Yeah. Um, and it's been interesting you know, kids, that's what's so good about this and getting kids into it is they, they can walk and talk, you know, throw sticks, um, that sort of thing. And, and it doesn't, doesn't matter so much to a dog that's trained because they'll get out, you know, 75, 175 yards ahead of you. And what you're doing is not disturbing what the squirrel's activity is. And the, the, the squirrels are, are um, really cued in on what the dog's actions are. That, that dog sort of, um, Prancing around down there, down the on the ground, sort of keeps the squirrels' attention and 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 holds them there more more often than people might expect. For sure. So, Marcus, do you do anything? Do you have like a reward system or anything that you do with these dogs? I know we got a guy down here, kind of a famous small game hunter uh, in the area, and he always talks mm-hmm. about how he'll feed the squirrel heads to his dogs, you know, as a reward for uh, a good hunt at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Do you do anything like that, or have any traditions? No, I mean I've I've heard of other people doing that too, and I know a couple people that do where the they'll actually gut the squirrel and let them eat that up the guts. And I don't I don't particularly encourage that. Um, you know that's just my personal preference because I don't want to eat the squirrel. Yeah. Um, and it's more probably not so much of a problem for a, a broke dog or one that you know is, is approaching being finished or is finished. It's these young dogs that I don't. Right. I I think you just cause more problems than than it's worth. I mean, do you know any bird hunters that feed bird parts to their bird dog? I've heard um, of some, but not not any I've come not across. We don't. Yeah. I can tell you that. No, so I just I think you just you just open yourself, and you know it might work fine for them or their dogs, but 
it only takes one dog eating every squirrel that you shoot out to ruin your day. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of <laughs> the know? way I, I mean, looked you can, at if, it. If you have a problem with that, yeah, you can, you can time a tree when you get there, but then if the squirrel leaves, you got, you're fumbling around trying not to drop your gun, trying to unhook the clip to let the dog loose. You know? <laughs> so it's, uh, my, I mean, my dogs are only on leash where they have to be, you know, in town, if I'm visiting somebody or, um, in a competition hunt where, where you're required to catch your dog at the tree. Well, um, you, you, otherwise my dogs are never on leash. Yeah. Well, you just mentioned uh, competition hunts real, uh, again, real quick, give everybody a breakdown. Yeah. What, what kind of competition hunts are out there for squirrel dogs and kind of just describe real quick what, what a hunt consists of. Sure. Well, it's, it's uh modified coon hunt rules really. Um, and like I said, they got their start, really in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Um, and so there's multiple registries now um, or hunt organizations that, that have these events. And so, you know, the United Kennel Club, the UKC, uh, the National Kennel Club is the, has been the biggest one for a long time for squirrel dogs, the Nas- National Kennel Club um, out, of, out of Tennessee, actually. Um, and there's PKC, the Professional Kennel Club, and that's that's uh, money hunts. So, you know, everybody pools their money, say, your know, entry fees are divided amongst the winner. Um, or you, you know, hunt for dog food or dog boxes, that sort of thing. Um, so really as you go, you know, depending on the registry, the rules are slightly different, but in general, you know, you show up, um, and, and eligible dogs, you, you enter and, and then they randomly draw for casts and you can have usually two to three dogs in a cast. Um, no more. Sometimes, uh, th- there's a champion division or champion, uh, cast where there might be one dog goes out on its own, but hopefully, that's not the case. Um, and you go out and you hunt for a couple hours, you know, include, you know, you have timeouts. If you want to move from one spot to another, it's, it's total hunt time of two hours. Um, and you're, like I said, these dogs are silent on track, so you don't get strike points like you would in a coon hunt. It's just tree points. Um, and you can get minus for the same reasons. You can get your dog scratched for the same reasons, you know, kicked out if they're fighting, you know, uh, if they're in heat or, um, running off game too many times, but, um, you know, you, you go out and, and hunt for a couple hours, you want first tree, uh, ideally, and you want your dog to keep, you know, to tree their own squirrel. You know, a me too dog or one that trees when another dog is treeing isn't going to get uh, enough points <laughs> to win their cast. Um, and depending on the event, you know, if there's a double hunt, like a morning and evening round, you know, cast winners move on to the evening, um, say, and so you got to win your cast. Um, and you can get titles on these dogs, you know, squirrel champion, grand squirrel champion. You can even get super grand squirrel champion if they have eight uh, champion wins grand champion wins. Um, so it's, you have to get a hundred points, uh, on a dog and usually takes multiple events to do that. And they have to have a first place win. So you can't just, you know, be a copycat me too dog and, and, and win a title, uh, unless you get lucky and somehow you get a first place. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of questions or a lot of information that goes out when someone gets a title on a dog and you, you go, okay, well, how many events did you take them to? You know, how many dogs showed up? Uh, so you, you have to do a little bit of research, but by and large, people are, are, are mostly honest, and it's it's a good time. You go see how other dogs run and compare to yours, and talk to other hunters, and, and it's it's a good time. They usually youth events, you know, like a youth bench show for confirmation, and and a treeing contest, you know, depending on the state, either live game or not. But um, you know, treeing on a coon hide, say they'll just count the barks per minute, and the one that barks the most wins, sort of thing. So it's a lot of good food and, and fellowship at, the, at those things. And they're, they're good for uh, people who want to get into the sport to see what's available in their area 
and learn a little bit about the dogs and you know, see what you know, size and shape and hunting style of these dogs that might fit you best. You mentioned a second ago the hunting style, and um, I, I want to mm-hmm. hit on this. What is the typical like range? You know, we went out and did this coon hunt a couple of weeks ago with these guys. They're ranging. Mm-hmm. You know, we could go a hundred yards, or it could be seven hundred yards that these dogs are going out independently right. searching for game. So, what's the typical range for your squirrel dogs? Yeah. So, in terms of hunting style, you've got some of these lines that will hunt sort of a beeline. You know, they just run straight in, and they might pass squirrels up. Say, but a lot of us like these dogs that, that hunt in a circular pattern because they're less likely to pass things up. Um, but you know, as far as how deep they go. If if it's a decent, you know, say an average squirrel year population wise, and you're at the right time of day, the squirrels are moving, the dogs shouldn't really go more than seventy five yards, okay. um, ideally, you know. But but if they're not moving or it's a bad squirrel year, you know, they'll go three hundred, four hundred yards. But that's that's a typical situation, um, unless you're out in like in the middle of the day and there's just not very many moving, or you know, they'll find you one. They'll go deep as they need you to find you one. Um, you know, especially like say you're somewhere where they can run down a gravel road. I mean, they'll run down that road, especially if you get a pair of dogs that think this is great fun, you know, they'll just bolt down a road. And so a lot of times you be like, you know, get over here, get them in here. You know, so, I mean, I, I use hand signals with my dogs. Um, and like I said, I'll, I'll encourage them to go into a patch of timber instead of just blowing by something. Cause I mean, like my rose female, she's got quite a bit of drive, you know, she's like high octane as far as a fight dog goes. And, uh, you just got to keep her from getting too enthusiastic, especially at the beginning, you know, she'll, She'll just blow out of the box, and I'm like, no, get over here, you know, <laughs> get him in here, and then we'll we'll set a direction and go the way that I want to go, not the way she wants to go, just run down the road. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that uh, you can fill a bird bag real quick with a finished dog. Uh, what's your preferred method mm-hmm. of uh, skinning? Do you do the stand and pull trick or the shirts and pants method? And what's your favorite way to cook squirrel? Sure. No, we we, we generally do the the you know, cut through the tail underside of the tail um and and stand and and pull um i'm not that stout i'm like the smallest guy in my family but my dad will will just pull them apart you know like you said shirt and pants i've got a buddy that i hunt with in Southside virginia near where i grew up and he's a deputy sheriff and he's like a moose you know he just he just he'll put he'll just pull squirrels um doesn't even use doesn't even use a knife he just pulls them (laughs) and they just come right apart you know i'm not i'm not that stout um so it's like he's the guy you want on your side um, <laughs> but, uh, we've had, we had some pretty good hunts where he's crawling underneath these old tobacco bars and stuff. It's kind of comical because he's such a big dude, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I, I prefer to stand on the tail and, and pull up and there's been some new skinners come out. You could, you know, it, it, when we did it as kids, I, it was like, it was like Mark hold the feet, you know? So I hold the feet and dad would cut them, uh, and pull down while I'm holding onto them. Well, that's just cause he doesn't like to bend over. So, um, <laughs> but they make these new skinners now. Yeah, I mean, they make these new skinners now that, um, you know, you can uh, put the feet in and it basically holds it for you against the tree. You know, you put them on a post, mount them to a post or, or a tree, and then you can do that method that we used to do. Um, you know, that was the hardest part for me was holding on to the squirrel while Dad pulled it because I was just a little kid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's sort of like skinning a coon. Like, they're, you know, they've got to pull pretty hard sometimes. Um, so it's like eye hooks or something and screw them into the tree before you do a coon or something so I don't have to hold it. But um, you know, there's uh, all, any method, in anything, any recipe that calls for, you know, the, the the cliche chicken, pork, or rabbit, you could substitute squirrel for. And um, I've had basically everything you can think of. There's pasta and 
pizza and calzones, stews and pot pies and you know all manner of, of things that you would put any other white meat in. Um, but you know something a thing that we made uh, here recently for our last family reunion, um, we uh, we made uh, like a garlic parmesan world, you know, sort of like chicken wings. It was, it was pretty good. good. That garlic parmesan was, was fairly popular. Yeah, it was good. It was baked in the oven, you know. It was pretty good. Um, so you, you try that. But like I said, any recipe that calls for either chicken, pork, or rabbit, um, you could substitute squirrel. Um, you know, even an older, you know, you shoot an older sow or something that might be a little tougher, throw them in the crock pot for a little bit, soften them up, and, and then you can even fry them or, you know, whatever. That, that's traditionally how we did it. You know, we're kids and we go shoot some squirrels in the morning and take them back up and, and grandma would, you know, we'd skin them and grandma would, would cook them right then. Um, you know, the day the, right after we got them, but nowadays we'll hunt them, skin them, put them in the freezer and then eat them later. But they, they didn't hardly freeze them. <laughs> yeah. Dad grew up, if, if they didn't have squirrels, dad went ahead a lot as a kid. So they, um, they were pretty serious about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think squirrel is, uh, for whatever reason, become pretty an underrated game meat, uh, in, here recent but uh i think it's starting to make a comeback i think a lot more people are are starting to realize kind of what you're talking about that uh hey you have squirrel opportunities you may not have birds but you can go shoot some squirrels but uh yeah yeah, so real quick while we have you you know do you have anything else you want to maybe give some kennel shout outs how people can get a hold of you do you do any training anything like that sure no we, we do take a limited number of dogs uh to train I mean, a lot of the times it's you got a dog that's just on the verge of treeing or, or, you know, maybe it's got some bad habits you want us to fix or do that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I actually, I wrote a book late last year um, called The Mountain Feist. It talks about the history of the breed and its background and how they're used and what might be coming down the pike, um, you know, because we've been lucky to inherit a pretty good breed of dog, in my opinion. And, and so they could be drastically different in another 20 years, just like hunting in general, really different in another 20 years. And, and so we're sort of adapting these dogs to a modern life, just like, you know, we people have had to adjust to a modern life. These dogs are coming along for the ride. So they're sort of an artifact of Appalachian culture that's being thrust into the modern world. And so how do, how do we best balance their historical tendencies with the situations that they might be put in now? Um, so anyway, you know, if people are interested in it, you know, they contact me, they like to order the book or just have any questions about squirrel dog, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, you know, it's just Gray's Mountain Feist, um, Gray Feist on Twitter. And we, and our website's just graysmountainfeist.com. Sounds great. What did you say the name of your book was called again? It's called The Mountain Feist. The Mountain Feist. And it's uh, the first book that's come out about squirrel dogs in 20 years. So a lot's happened. Yeah. Since that time. Well, that's awesome. Well, Mark is out uh, that was really fun. I mean, something different for everybody. I know it's new for us, and uh, I, I'm hopefully my wife can listen to this. Maybe she'll want want a feist after this, and we, we can bring one in the house. There you go. Be careful. You'll end up getting rid of all your other dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marcus, we really appreciate it, and uh, you know, you coming on. I know we've been trying for a couple of weeks, and glad we finally made it happen. And uh, maybe we can have you on again in the future. Thanks for having and, me. And. Uh, Maybe awesome. we can hunt with you one day. No, I appreciate it. That'd be good if we could go for a hunt. I'm all about it. We actually, uh, Bristol. So, um, I know that area fairly well. Uh, we used to have the Cherokee National Forest quite a bit. Um, so, but you're out in central Tennessee. We can come out that way too. There's some good places that I know of 
uh, to hunt out your way. Seriously, give us a shout yeah, if you're you, coming. You let us know we're there. Will do. All right. Yeah, well, I'll let you know. Maybe we'll take a southerly route, southerly route to Missouri this time. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, just let us know, and we appreciate it, and hope everybody enjoyed this. And uh, Marcus, we'll talk later. All right. Sounds good. Thank you much. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.